Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Reggie Jefferson. Reggie played in the majors for parts of nine seasons and is currently an agent with Reynolds Sports. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Reggie Jefferson. Reggie, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Reggie, I ask everyone this right at the top. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. Oh, my father. You know, uh, my father played semi-pro baseball in Tallahassee, Florida, where I'm from. And, I mean, he just loved the game. Uh, So from just the time I could walk, uh, he had me following him, playing, and and, uh, just learning the game. You were also a star basketball player and football player in high school. Was baseball always your primary sport, though, or were you actually in a situation where you had to decide which sport you thought you may have an opportunity to go pro in? Actually, it just kind of um, process of elimination. You know, growing up, I played football and baseball uh, equally and and uh, had no idea which one, you know, I'd uh, pursue at the next level. And I just through high school, started playing basketball, and it turned out I liked basketball more than football, and stopped, but then realized that uh, there's really no future in basketball for me, you know, being a, a 6'3", 6'4", forward, uh, but during all that time, continued to play baseball, and, and that's where my true talent um, lied. It was obvious that, you know, I had a chance to play professionally in baseball with the other sports, uh, it's going to be a long shot. You were drafted right out of high school. You were drafted in the third round by the Cincinnati Reds. What were your expectations about what your life and career would be at that point as a 17-year-old kid who's just drafted out of high school? Oh, I mean, you have no idea, to be honest. (laughs) You kind of you're really naive when you sign, especially back, you know, then when I came out. Just the information wasn't there about what pro ball was really uh, about. But I had a good idea that I was ready for it, and um, and I remember when I signed, I said, uh, "I'm gonna give myself ten years if I don't make it to the majors." And and then once I got to the minors and saw what it was really like, I said, "I better make it in about four or five years." <laughs> so uh, it just you just don't know. Uh, but uh, I had a good idea that I was ready for it. Um, I had an opportunity to play co- collegiately at Florida State, which was right where I was um, in my hometown. Um, but, you know, my parents gave me their blessing to, to go ahead and get started, and, and I got out there and, and got going, and it was the best decision I ever made. You think going right into the minors after high school was the best decision you ever made? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um, because, you know, and, I, and now I work with families and kids, and um, just for me, I was ready. You know, I always tell a kid, um, it really doesn't matter how high you're drafted, it's, you better be ready to go out and start playing every day, um, deal with the failure of the minor leagues, um, and then learn. But it, for me, because I was ready, it was without a doubt the best decision. I mean, I like college baseball, but um, I was more suited for the minors, and, and, uh, and it helped me develop as a player, I think, a lot better. So much of, as you know now as an agent, so much of, of prep baseball now features these showcase events and kids are required to travel around to all these different showcases. But when you were drafted, that wasn't really as much of a thing yet. Was that just an adjustment, just being in the minors and just having to travel around so much? How much had you even left Florida when you were this 17-year-old kid? Oh, really? I mean, um, I was fortunate I played what was called Babe Ruth Baseball Um from the time I was 13 uh, until I was drafted in the summers. And and we had really good teams in Tallahassee. We actually won the World Series when I was uh, uh, 
15 and, you know, played in Niles, Michigan, you know, it was where the world series was, uh, uh, that summer I went to Stanton, Virginia, uh, you know, you know, traveled one state championship. So I'd been around playing, I guess, for a kid at that time. Um, but it was nothing that prepared me for the minors. I mean, going off to, uh, Billings, Montana, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, these places are so different to me from, um, what I had grown up in in Florida. Um, and it, it just was a, a real culture shock uh, for me. So uh, nothing prepared you for it, uh, and, you know. But I think now, like I said, to answer your question, these kids are way more prepared now through the, through the showcases, uh, playing in front of so many scouts like they do. Uh, I think it has them. Um, it does pro ball doesn't phase them as much. I think from the standpoint of performing in front of uh, uh, people, you know. I had a kid drafted this past year, uh, Eric Jenkins from. Uh, North Carolina, and he's from a small town, North Carolina, but he played so much travel ball. Uh, this spring, the Rangers put him in a major league game, and I couldn't believe it that a 18 year old kid was actually in a, a major league game. I know I, I it would have freaked me out when I was coming along. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Um, but he, you know, was happy about it, hit a triple, and you know, called me just so excited, and it just blew my mind. You actually played parts of over four years in the minors. You finally get your call. You get, you get called up by the Cincinnati Reds in 1991, and I'm curious what that team was like because you're experiencing the major leagues for your first time, but the team had just won the World Series the last year. I imagine that's a different kind of atmosphere to join as a rookie. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, um, I had been in spring training with that team in 1990 and unfortunately had a back injury um, early in the season, or I think I would have been on that team, you know. You know, you never know, but I was, was doing really well. Uh, so I was kind of bummed out that I didn't play in the World Series that year. Uh, didn't get that chance. But going in the next year, you know, it was on an all-time high. You know, you had players there, Eric Davis, Barry Larkin, uh, the, uh, you know, Dibble and all those guys. Uh, the Nasty Boys is what they, I guess they refer to. But, uh, uh, you know, so it was like, it was just kind of like uh, traveling with the, you know, you know, when you go up, being around a team that just uh, was on a, on a high. But, Unfortunately, that next year they had some issues with injuries and things happened. Uh, so you got there, and it was kind of like they were trying to recapture the the, uh, the previous year. So it was kind of weird, but it was all it was great for me to uh, to get a chance to be around guys like Davis and Larkin. Were they your mentors early on? Well, I think um, they, they, without a doubt, they helped a lot. I mean, Eric was the type of guy that you know, a young player, he would ride you all day. I mean, relentlessly. But then he'd give you the shirt off his back, you know, and that was what was so great about him. Um, Barry, um, I tell people to this day, is, you know, probably one of the best guys that, you know, I ever had a chance to play around. I mean, he really would, um, you know, try to help the young players out. Uh, but everybody there, I mean, I had a chance, uh, Ken Griffey Sr., I remember being at Big League Camp one year with him being there, and I couldn't believe it, you know, because I had grown up a big fan of uh, the Big Red Machine. So just to be in the locker room with him, uh, you know, so many guys that came through that time, you know, Rio, uh, like I said, Dibble. Uh, I remember the veteran guys like Ted Power. Um, it just, you know, so amazing to me because I grew up such a baseball fan. And then to be in the locker room with those guys as a young guy was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Now, Cincinnati actually traded you that first season in 1991. Were you stunned when that happened? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Because it was... It was more, uh, it was a product of a, a clerical uh, area by the GM. To this day, I still don't totally understand, but um, 
I had a, I, I got sick and had to be placed on a DL. And he, he didn't, he instead of uh, keeping me on the DL, somehow he designated me for assignment. It was, it was really weird. So he was forced to have to trade or release me. So I kind of knew it was coming, but it was a shock because, like I said, you come through a minor league system and uh, with every player you think that's the team you're going to play your career with, team is drastic, but it, it rarely happens. Well, and what what a weird circumstance, too, to happen over a clerical error like that. I mean, as a kid, I mean, you're still young at that point, and you're still thinking, hey, I'm here, I'm with this team, they just won the World Series the year before, you're friends with Davis and Larkin and all the other guys, and all of a sudden, because of a clerical error, not only are you getting traded, you're going to a different league. You're going to the American League now. Yep, yep, yep. And I, I always think back, then what have happened if I had um, just stayed in Cincinnati, because um, the GM was kind of in a pickle there where he had to trade a release me and he offered um, me to stay there um, and he would adjust my contract and just pay me major league salary in the, you know, even when they sent me to the minors. But um, again, the agent in the business side of the game was, you know, this was my chance to force myself to a team that, um, you know, probably had a, um, a more of a use for me because Cincinnati, again, was coming off winning the World Series. Their everyday lineup was pretty set. Um, so, you know, my agent advised me to just force the issue, and, and we got traded to Cleveland. But I always think back, and I always wonder if I had just stayed in Cincinnati, uh, how things would uh, work out. Because it was such a great baseball town, and, and I did like you know, the guys that I was there with. It's interesting, too, because you were playing, you made your debut on a team that won the World Series the year before, and then you get traded to the Indians, and those 90s Indian teams that you got traded to were about to become really, really good. That that team had Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton, Jim Tomey, Manny Ramirez, and then you actually got traded for Omar Vizquel at one point, but I want to talk about your time in Cleveland a little bit. Tell me about Albert Bell. He was such a notorious figure at the time. What was he like as a teammate? Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, he definitely... Uh... <laughs> Uh, you know, he, to me, it was, uh, he was a great teammate, you know, people will laugh when I say that, but, uh, I really enjoyed playing with him. I mean, I think they kind of sum Albert up. I mean, he's the type of guy that, uh, you know, you're in a baseball locker room, you, you do talk about other sports and he knew, uh, me being from Tallahassee, I'm a huge Florida state football fan. And, uh, and, you know, you'd be sitting home in the off season on Saturday and, and my phone would ring and the Albert Bell calling to talk about you know, what had happened in football that day. And, and, uh, and that's the type of guy he was, but he just could not accept failure though, that this was not part of his <laughs> uh, vocabulary. And, and it caused him to, you know, to lose his temper a lot, you know, in the game and that. Uh, but as far as a teammate, I mean, he was great to get along with. Uh, he got along with everybody in the locker room. The guys really liked him a lot. During that time in the mid-90s, more home runs were coming into the game. It was a different run-scoring environment. They were starting to, uh, uh, you know, it's now known as the steroid era. Did you start to see steroids come into the game at that point? Oh, yeah, you did. But um, I was really naive to the whole thing. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't until I was retired. I mean, we, you know, in, our, in, in, our, in the clubhouse, you would, almost joke about it me and my teammates you know and I'd always say hey you know if I hit a home run I want to know I got the pitcher I don't need any help and, and I didn't realize that it was so prevalent I thought you know if you had asked me when I was playing how many guys that I think use steroids I'd probably say that oh there's probably I'd say three or four guys in the locker room that I would say probably experimented to some degree and guys would joke about it but we didn't think it was that serious and I definitely didn't know 
that pitchers were using it like they were. You know, the HGH and the things to recover and increase the velocity. Um, that's the part that really um, uh, surprised me, you know, as a guy toward the end of my career. But, um, you know, it was just, it was obvious once you started coming out and you started looking at certain guys and go, man, you know, how did this guy improve so much? Or was this guy, he really wasn't that much better than me, but he had help. Uh, it was sad, you know, because, um, you know, I, I just was raised and you played the game the right way and, and worked hard to make it to the majors. And, and, uh, and my attitude was, you know, that I like having that satisfaction that I was a major leaguer. I never had any help and I didn't do anything. And, um, and, and it's, and it's weird. It kind of shows the pressure that players feel because I've heard so many players say that they didn't know about it, but if they did, they might've done it. And, and I just think that's sad because, you know, the, you should go out and play the game. Baseball is a fun game. And, and, uh, and if you feel like you got to put something in your body to, to have success, then you should just do something else with your life. How do you now, jumping ahead as an agent, and you're working with young kids, and the temptation may still be there for them? I mean, when you were playing, there wasn't even testing, but now it's such a focus on this. How do you deter young kids from using? Oh, the biggest thing is I, I tell clients, just don't put anything in your, in your body. I mean, the teams are great about educating young players when they draft them and sign them that you know, don't put anything in your body if you don't bring it to the training room. Let the trainers look at it. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I reinforce that with clients that, uh, you know, you just don't want to make that mistake. You know, it's not worth it. Um, you know, anything, you know, just, uh, we try to recommend the certain products that are MLB approved. If you want to take supplements, this is what you take. Um, and, and that's it, you know, and, and, and I've, so far I've been lucky enough not to have any issues, but I think it's just, uh, the players are educated, so there's no real excuse, to be honest. I mean, on, on my side of it, um, you know what the teams are telling the players. And they know you know the protocol. You know that they can call you and test you at any time. Um, but they just let out tell them, don't take anything. You know, I, I see some of these things where, uh, you know, the players say they're taking a medication. Um, and, and sometimes it is that that's an honest mistake. And, and you've and you got to pay the cost and you move on. Uh, but I think in some of these other cases, you know, guys probably know what they're doing. You know? Yeah, and you don't want to find yourself in a situation where, like the Chris Davis thing a few years ago, which seemed more like a paperwork and clerical error, error he's been using Adderall his whole yeah. life, and then you know, he doesn't file the paperwork, but he used it the year before, he uses it the year after, but because the paperwork wasn't filed, there's weird things like that where you draw a line and say, ah, I, I'm not sure yeah. he should have got suspended. But there are clearly guys using doping regimens and who are trying to get an advantage, and I think those guys should uh, should meet their consequences. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's it's a fine line. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I'm a big proponent of the union. Um, the union's done a lot of great things, um, um, but they're kind of caught in the middle. I mean, they're there to protect the players and um, uh, and and player salaries because you know you play this game to uh, uh, to make money first and foremost. You know, you enjoy it, but there's a lot that players have to go through, and they deserve to be compensated, but. Um, but then there's that fine line when you say a guy gets caught doing something and, uh, and they still get rewarded. You know, I think that's, that's tough. It's tough. And, 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 and even as an agent, I'm not privy to the whole story of what went down when a guy fails a test. So it's hard for me to comment and you don't want to be negative because it could be an honest mistake with third cases. And in some, it's not. So when you don't know which is which, you don't want to condemn a guy because, you know, again, we all make mistakes and, and then honest mistakes do happen. So 
there's that fine line to where you you know I don't think you can just throw this blanket punishment out there for guys and go oh you know if you're busted then you got to get this time because there are some some honest mistakes but uh you know it, it's, a, it's a tough situation I, I i think the union is doing a, a terrific job of trying to clean the game up and, and and make it a better product for the fans well what is the process when a player tests positive don't they contact the agent first or do they just con- who does the does the league contact the player how does the, how does the player actually find out that if they got a positive test well yeah he'll get contacted but i'm saying me as an agent like if i were hear about the Chris Davis situation or another player, I don't know all the information about that player. Now, I'm going to know what's going on with my player, but that's why I'm saying it's hard to to comment on the general, like, well, people say, oh, they should make the punishment tougher or you should do that, but it's not, it's a gray area. You know what I'm saying? I do. And one of the things I actually think the players should be fighting for in the new CBA is that when a player is suspended, whether it's PED-related or for whatever other suspension. So they lose their salary, but the team just gets to keep it. And I think that's outrageous. I don't think the owner should profit from a player using steroids. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's just so tough. That's the tough part of it. And uh, But then there's the other argument. Well, um, you know, people say, well, you know, you know, a guy gets has a multi-year contract and he fails a test. And, you know, he's, you know, so it's, I think right now, you know, I actually like that you have punishments in place, and uh, and and guys have to pay their their uh, the price when they make a mistake. And um, I just don't know if there's a clear cut way, like you're saying, if the owners somebody's going to benefit when someone else uh, loses. That's just the way it is. So it's kind of a a tough area. But I do commend. I think the player association is doing a great job. Uh, they want the the, uh, the product to be clean, and you listen to the players. The players want it. Uh, the majority of the players want it to be clean, um, and I think way more so than it was uh, ten years ago. And uh, so I think the game's in the right direction. Um, I don't uh, pay enough attention to you know people say, well, guys can beat the test, guys can do this, and I'm sure they you know there's guys out there that spend that time doing it, but I'm just so anti that. I just don't find time in my day to figure any of that stuff out because I just think it's wrong, you know. Jumping back into your playing career a little bit, Cleveland, you were there for a few years, then they traded you for Omar Vizquel to Seattle, and now you're in Seattle and you're playing with Ken Griffey Jr., and you had played with his dad earlier in Cincinnati. Tell me what Griffey Jr. was like as a teammate. Oh, I mean, uh, best player I ever played with. I tell people, hand is down. I mean, I play with some great players. Um uh, it just uh, it, it was fun to watch him that year. I played there in '94. I mean, uh, I always say he has uh, he had all the ability that God could give a baseball player as far as arm, power, swing, uh, intelligence. And then he had a father who did it for 20 years. So you combine that <laughs> with the you know what to expect all the time. Um, you're going to get that. That's going to be the product of it. And uh, just a great player. I mean, uh, he. I remember in 94, I think he set a record of, uh, you know, home runs before June 1st or something like that. And, and I swear every night in May, it seemed like he would, he would hit a homer. It was, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, to be honest. But, uh, was just a great player, man. I, uh, I wish he could have stayed healthy, you know, latter part of his career to see what kind of numbers. Um, but I think that's the, uh, the byproduct of a guy who didn't do anything, it, your body's going to, at some point, going to give out. And then you saw some of these guys where the bodies just didn't, then that's just obvious that they, they didn't do it the right way. Now, of course, right around that time was the player strike. What was going on with you as a player? 
I imagine it's overwhelming in part. You you do want to play the game, but uh, then the strike happens. It takes that away. What was actually going on with you when the strike came up? Uh, that's the year again. I was in Seattle, and uh, we actually, as a team, had, had struggled um, really bad the first half of the year. And then um, I don't know if you remember, but a, a towel fell out of the roof of the kingdom that year, and we had to go on a thirty-day road trip. Uh, so we went out and stayed on the road for like a month straight, and actually started playing. We were the hottest team in the league and played great. And and uh, the the our division was was terrible that year, but we had gotten first place, I think, with a losing record at that point. But we, we would have eventually had a winning record. I mean, we really turned it around with, you know, guys like Randy Johnson, uh, Tino Martinez, Edgar. It was, it was a good team. Uh, and it was a shame when the strike happened. I mean, no one wanted to see that. Uh, but I think it's one of those things that baseball has learned from it, and hopefully we'll never have a work stoppage again because – just nobody wins, and, and there's enough money in this game to go around. I, I think they've done a great job of, of fixing it and, and staying away from it, and I hope that continues into next year. Were you disappointed? I mean, as an individual, you want to support your union, and when the owners were essentially trying to break the union at that point, you feel like you have to go. But as a player, you have to be like, hey, what, what are we doing here? I just want to play the game. Yeah, yeah, but no, but you're educated, Um and uh, baseball union does a great job, so I supported that 100% because, um, you know, they, like you just said, it they were trying to break the union, and uh, and you just can't have that. So I felt like, uh, you know, 100%. If we had to take the strike, we did it. Uh, you know, as a young guy, I made a point of just making sure, you know, that I had saved my money, and that if you know, I couldn't see us being out for over a year, but I was fine, you know, financially. It, and uh, and it just because we were prepared for it, but you just realize that it, it's a business, and and that was a lesson I learned from it. Um, that uh, yeah, you want to show up and you want to play baseball, uh, but it's people <laughs> that have been around a lot longer than you, uh, guys that came before you, that made sacrifices uh, that you have to you know get in line and and uh, and uphold. After the strike, you were granted free agency, and you signed with the Boston Red Sox different kind of city. I'm from Boston. That The atmosphere in Boston and, the, and that surrounds the Red Sox is a little different than it is in Seattle and in Cincinnati and in Cleveland. Tell me about your first experience and your first impression of Boston. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you said it. It's uh, totally different, but uh, in, in a great way. I remember, um, um, you know, I, I was just telling that story to a client uh, yes, uh, two days ago, I'm sorry, about uh, how I came to play in uh, Boston. And I remember... Uh, uh, as an opposing player, I always had a lot of success at Fenway Park and, and swung the bat well there. But uh, when Seattle, uh, at that time, they were going to make Edgar Martinez the DH full-time, and, uh, and Tino was playing first, so they just didn't have a spot for me to offer me arbitration. And uh, and and I never thought that Boston would be a team to call me. I remember my agent calling, and I you know, I said, who's called it? And he said, well, Boston keeps calling. And I, and I was kind of indifferent because I knew they had Mo Vaughn and Jose Canseco. Uh, and they were pretty rough on me as opposed to player when I came in there. So, um, you know, like I said, it was indifferent, but from day one, I, I loved it. And, uh, I had my most success in Boston and, and really that's the team I identify with. If you ask me who I played for, that's the team that comes out of my mouth. Um, first is Boston because I just love playing there. Um, the fans embraced me and, and always supported me. And, and, uh, it was awesome five years. Yeah, in Boston, you actually, your second year there, you hit 347. You had an OPS of 981. You hit 19 home runs. 
that was your best year offensively. What was going on with you that year? Well, you know, I just kind of um, came into my own as a hitter. You know, I always uh, tell people, you know, I never really learned how to hit until I got to the majors. I mean, I, 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 I had a lot of, I was a national hitter, I guess, simple way, and I always produced and, and, and played. But, you know, it wasn't until the majors when I really felt like as a hitter, um, you know, when you're in the minors and you start struggling, you don't know if you're going to come out of it because you just don't have that knowledge. But there was a point in my major league career where I really felt like, yeah, I'm going to have a slump, but I, I know I'll get out of it. And that's when I hit that that, that point. And um, I just had, a, you know, I was the last guy on the team, the position player, to get off the bench that seat. And I remember Kevin Kennedy coming to me just saying, be patient, be a patient. And uh, and I think it was probably mid-April before I even got in that bat. And uh, and I just, you know, got hot. I played well um, and just saw the ball so well that year. I mean, I just – it didn't matter. I just – I hit, you know, if Canseco would come back and play for a week and I had to sit out and then he'd get hurt again and I'd jump right back in, I kept swinging the bat well. And, and I, it's funny, I remember after the year thinking, I said, man, I may never hit like that again because <laughs> I was just so hot the whole year. and. It really felt like I had came into my own as a hitter. How was Conseco as a teammate? He was a little bit past his prime at that point, but he was still a star player. Was he okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, great guy. You think I always uh, liked about him. Is, uh, and you can tell I pretty much get along with everybody, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, the thing that uh, I liked about Conseco was that you could, get on, you, could, you could get on him. You know, you have some superstar guys that are really sensitive and you can never make fun of them. Um, Jose wasn't like that you know guys would kid him about Madonna or they would kid him about anything that came up and he he had no problem with it and I really um I really liked him uh, just for that you know alone um, but uh you know it was a good you know again he never was a problem as a teammate I mean he had his his ways and things that he did that not everyone agreed with but um as far as you know treating his teammates with respect he was good Let's talk about how it ended in Boston. In 1999, the Red Sox made the playoffs. They left you off the playoff roster. How did that all go down? Well, it was tough because, again, like I, you know, I, I said, you know, I love playing in Boston, and I had, you know, I had problems with my back, you know, in two different years. But I felt like I, I gave everything to to the Red Sox and 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 really wanted to win, and and that was what it was always about with me. You know, it was. You know, I wanted to help this team win and, 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 and do well. And that year in 99, I came back late, um, and they basically were phasing me out throughout the year anyway. You know, it was you could see it, and, you know, if if we go in a series, you know, I got Tim Hudson, you know, <laughs> or I got Clemens, you know, we're playing the Blue Jays. So I could just see what was going on. And I, it was what it was. Um, but I felt like they had an opportunity to – uh, to trade me at some point if they weren't going to use me and uh, and they never did trade me so I felt like okay they want my bat for you know the postseason you know come off the back uh, the bench and get a big hit or or they know that I do well against the tough tough righty so um, to get to the playoffs and then to not be put on the roster it just like somebody dropped a ton of bricks on me and and uh, and I just remember sitting in the, uh, in Jimmy Williams's office when he when he told me and I said. Um, do I even have to stay here? You know, because I went through that with him. I said, I can't believe you kept me here all year. If you were going to do this, you could release me or and let me go on. And, uh, and, and I asked him if I had to stay. And I don't know if I caught him by surprise by asking that. Um, but he goes, no, I don't know if you, you know, I don't think you have to, or he just probably didn't even care. But, 
Um, and, and I just left and went home and I, and I always regret that I did it. Um, but I think it was out of emotion because I just cared so much about it and it hurt my feelings when they didn't put me on the roster. Um, and, and that's why, how it went down. But I, it's one of the things that I do regret. Uh, I think I should have just stayed there and, and sat and watched. Uh, but you know, I knew I was a free agent. I knew they weren't going to want me back. So I just didn't see the point of, you know, you kept me here all year. And then to do this just didn't make any sense. You were 30 years old in 1999. You had had two injury seasons. 99, you were hurt. 98, you were hurt a little bit. Did you think when Mm -hmm. you left that that would be the end, that that would be the last time you played Major League Baseball? Well, you you never know. You never know. I mean, um, I I knew going into the the offseason, I figured I had enough of a track record to get an opportunity somewhere. Um, And, you know, but what I was getting was a lot of, you know, non-roster invite come to camp, uh, team from Japan called and, and offered me a guaranteed deal. So, you know, I decided to take that route, you know, and, and go there and, and, uh, and just see how, how it would, would go. Um, and, uh, but I didn't think, you know, again, you never think that's going to be the last time you play. But even I, when I went to Japan for a year, then I came back and I uh, went to camp with the Pirates. Um, I think even then, I mean, the general manager there for the Pirates was actually the scout who had signed me out of high school, Cam Bonifay, and he gave me an opportunity. Um, they were full, but he wanted to give me an opportunity. Um, and I could have went to AAA then and, and probably made it back to the majors. You know, you know, you with a veteran guy could go to AAA, you get hot, a uh, team will call you up. But I just felt like I was done with it, you know, and I haven't regretted it. I just felt like I didn't want to play minor league baseball anymore. I, you know, I decided I was going to go back to college and get and get my degree. I made enough, you know, made some money in the game. Um, and I just knew that, again, I have a respect for the game. I felt like if I go to AAA and I'm not in it, these guys are going to eat me up, and they would have. If you don't go there and, and you know, play well and you're not ready to, to compete, you won't do well just because it's the minors, and, and that I, I understood. So, no, I didn't think it was going to be my last game, but that's the way it played out. But, I, I mean, I was happy. I knew that it was time for me to move on, and I immediately got back into college, and, and that was great because it kept my mind away from the game. I really didn't miss playing baseball in, until probably about five or six years after I retired. You did play in Japan in 2000. What was that experience like? Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. I mean, uh, um, I, you know, it took me a while to adjust, but I, but I did, and I did better in the second half of the season over there. Um, I mean, I could tell you a million stories of stuff that would happen over there, but the one thing I would say is that their fans really love the game. Um, it's competitive. You know, I think you guys can, you can see that the pitching that's come over here, that it's good pitching. You know, the position players over there, they, they lack the strength in general to compete on a day-to-day basis in the majors. But pitching-wise, you know, you face major league pitching over there when you, when you play there. Um, so it was a good experience. You know, it helps me now you know, in what I do that I, I kind of I have a great understanding of what, what that baseball is like. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it overall saying that I actually went, you know, but when I was living there, I definitely would have rather been in the majors. <laughs> you actually played with Daisuke Matsuzaka as a 19-year-old. He was a 19-year-old kid in Japan, and he was lighting it up there then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell people, man, I never seen anything like the uh, phenomena that was uh, Matsuzaka. I mean, he was like Elvis. I mean, we, we'd come out and, um, you know, we'd be waiting on the team bus, and there'd be like, 
uh, 500 teenage girls waiting on him to come out and they'd start screaming and, and just going crazy. Uh, you know, no, no matter where he went, I mean, he was, um, a phenomenon over in, in Japan at that time. You could see him come out of high school and, and won like double digit games the year before. Um, so it was interesting. You know, I enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, seeing him come to the States. I think I was once he was rehabbing in, in Fort Myers and I happened to be there watching the, um, uh, a showcase. I went over and, and spoke to him, um, but uh, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen when I went over there. We just watching this kid, and I played with some great uh, players over here. Uh, but he was uh, amazing. I wish the Red Sox uh, fans could have seen him throw like I saw him when he was nineteen, twenty years old. I mean, it was it was special. Knowing what you know now and having the benefit of hindsight, how do you think your career would be different? Knowing what you know now, uh, you know, I really don't think it, it would have been. I think. Um, Injuries really were the, the thing that, that hurt me more than anything. I think that I really had the talent to play in the majors for 13, 14 years, but it just couldn't stay healthy. I mean, I had a back problem, and I didn't um, didn't know how to rehab the, the, the injury properly and to, main, and, and to continue to do maintenance. I would rehab it, and then I wasn't told that you needed to continue to do maintenance for that stress fracture in your back, and then two years later it popped back up. Um, and so that hurt me. Um, and, uh, and I think that was it, but I mean, I really, I was a guy who, uh, worked really hard in, in the gym. I did everything I could. I, I was dedicated to my, um, teams played hard, but I think injuries probably cut me a little short of what I should have had, but, uh, you know, I got no regrets, man. I was fortunate enough to play in the big league, uh, you know, nine seasons here, a year in Japan. And, um, and that's more than most people get. So I, uh, I don't have any issues at all. You've been listening to former Major Leaguer Reggie Jefferson. You can follow him on Twitter at Reggie Jefferson. Reggie, thanks so much for the honest interview. I appreciate you joining the podcast today. All right. Thanks for having me.